Our beer of the week this week is a Blood Orange IPA from Sugar Creek Brewing here in Charlotte. I thought that was uh, it was relevant because we've had a lot of firings lately and there's blood in the water for a lot of these jobs. Yeah, I mean, if you include general manager vacancies, there were six firings over the weekend, four head coaches, two general managers. We'll get into one that was a little bit more local here in the Panthers section. But like you said, just a lot of, of blood. And we'll see if with the free agent pool of head coaches, how many of those positions get filled in terms of a long-term perspective. For sure. And uh, like you said, starting it starts with the Panthers, right? Because this is a Panthers podcast. Obviously, Frank Reich was fired back in November. But the big news was following the game on Monday morning that general manager Scott Fitterer was finally fired. Uh, shout out to our friend Dylan Jackson, who's on the pod before. Uh, Scott Shitterer is gone. All right. So they hired an actual search firm to look or Tepper hired a firm to look for uh, general manager candidates and head coaching candidates, which is something we talked about wanting before because Tepper seemed to have messed up with most of the hires he's had here in his time in Charlotte. So that's good. But uh, I'm more on the game front because we did play a football game too, our last game of the season. It was just more of the same, you know, all the good stuff that we had would just get erased, right? Like the, the DJ Chark touchdown. It was an excellent scramble play, heads up play by Bryce to find Chark wide open. And then he fumbles it through the end zone. A Bucks player recovers it, touchback. Uh, we had another touchdown. I think it was Terrace Marshall or Ian Thomas covered one another or something. I don't remember who was to blame there. And Raheem Blackshear actually had like a 30-something yard rushing touchdown. That got called back. And then our backup kicker, because Eddie Pinheiro got hurt, missed a, I think it was a 50-yard field goal. So all the points that we could have had just got erased, and all of them were self-inflicted. Yeah, it's the second time in a row that we were shut out this season. Uh, we never held a lead in the fourth quarter this year. The offense has been abysmal. This is something we've discussed at length multiple times. And I guess what's shocking, and obviously Panther fans that, and I'm not advocating for that we should have kept Christian McCaffrey, but fans that didn't like seeing him go, I mean, he has 21 touchdowns with San Francisco this year, and the Panthers as a whole offense had 20 and that just kind of goes to show and put in the perspective just how bare the cupboards are uh, how bad this offense is and how much turnover there is going to be in this offseason for sure like we talked about at the top uh the the top guys are going to be replaced hopefully we get an entire uh like renewed front office or like a whole new front office uh, scouting scouting staff, excuse me, uh, like sports science guys, because we had a ton of IR players this year. We, we could have fielded uh, a 22-man roster with our IR players. Uh, and then on the coaching staff front, I think there are changes that need to be made there. Guys like uh, James Campen. Now, there were injuries along the offensive line, but the players that were here in solid regressed pretty heavily. I think Bradley Bozeman would like to have this season back. From his perspective, I don't think he was very good. We've spoken about Iki Aquanu every week. He was just horrible this season. And then some of the young guys didn't really get developed, like uh, uh, Zavala, Chandler Zavala, uh, Cade Mays, Nash Jensen. Now, they were rookies and second-year players, but they didn't look like NFL players for that matter. And then Taylor Moten, stalwart uh, per usual. I know uh, PFF puts out that like expected grade versus how they actually graded out and he had the ninth hardest expected um, assignment this year. 
and he ended up with the sixth highest grade for a right tackle. So super good as usual for him, but everybody else on the offensive line, terrible. And then just other coaches across the coaching staff. Like obviously we let go of McCown and Deuce Staley, but uh, I, I think when a team underperforms this poorly, you, it needs to be looked at. And even guys like, uh, I know Evero did a decent job, but towards the end, our defense was not very good, like the last quarter of the year and stuff like that. So it, it just needs to be a holistic look when we bring in the new head coach and everything about maybe replacing everybody. Yeah, and the replacement of everybody, I think, needs to kind of be held at bay. We have some very nice pieces on the defensive side, especially along the defensive line. Uh, we lost the third most offensive war, according to PFF, on offense. And you highlighted some of that. Like, we lose Brady Christensen and Austin Corbett, and those were huge pieces for the offensive line that we had last year. Uh, they would have helped stabilize it and honestly made some of the icky Aquanu issues not look as as bad. And it just put a lot of rookies or young players um, in, in bad situations when they, they didn't need to be there. And like you said, the coaches weren't really helping the case anymore. That's why Deuce Staley, Josh McCown, they're gone. And you wonder, uh, based on who we bring in, are we, we going to look for somebody from the Andy Reid tree? Are we going to look for somebody from the Kyle Shanahan tree? And we'll get more into that later in the Panther section, but it's one of those things that uh, between the search firm that uh, Tepper is kind of employing at the moment for the search, uh, the candidates that we have, we have a huge list of candidates that, that we've requested the interview, uh, who the next guy is going to be, because the situation looks really bleak at the moment. For sure. And uh, we aren't the only team that has a bleak situation throughout this season and particularly this last week, kind of transitioning to our around the NFL section. The game we want to talk about this week is the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Tennessee Titans. And I think uh, this game really, really highlighted their entire season, just a disappoint disappointment, right? Going into the season, both of us were relatively high on the Jags. This was uh, an easy division. We thought it didn't turn out that way, but still I thought, all right, I still think that the Jags talent wise probably should contend and beat every other team in their division, but they just failed to do so throughout the year. Uh, it's been a disappointing season for Trevor Lawrence uh, in terms of turnovers, missing guys, stuff of that matter. But the rest of the offense has been bad too. And I think that comes back to Press Taylor, their offensive coordinator calling plays. We talked about a couple of different weeks uh, on this podcast throughout the year. Like I think we had one middle of the year. We had one kind of around the third quarter where I said, the difference might be Doug Peterson taking play calling back that might be the reason or the difference between them going to the playoffs or missing out and that's kind of what happened right their offense has been lagging behind all year the defense did fall off towards the end of the year but it, it held strong for a good chunk of the year and it, it, we've seen this with the panthers a defense can't hold up the entire season if the offense isn't producing we saw that the same darnold year and it's similar to what happened that year here with the jags yeah i mean uh, the Jaguars and Eagles, I think both end of the season one and five after very hot starts. The Jaguars started the season eight and three. They had a 99% chance to make the the playoffs, according to a lot of models. And like you said, it was a lot of issues that they had along this entire roster. And it finally just gave out. And Lawrence was getting banged up towards the end of the year. Uh, wide receivers were getting banged up. Zay Jones was out for large portions of the season. Christian Kirk went down when they were trying to make that push at the end. And uh, Calvin Ridley, I mean, 
as much as he was a big acquisition uh, last offseason, he had a lot of drops. He had a lot of drop touchdowns. And in this game in particular, and this also goes on Lawrence, he missed them by like a yard or so. Uh, Ridley comes wide open in a game that you're trying to come back in so that you can make the playoffs and and your two superstars don't make a play. And so this is this is where you have to reevaluate. OK, uh, the offensive line, I think, is a big concern with the Jaguars. That was kind of what limited this offense to an extent. They weren't able to protect. So they, they were playing a lot of quick game, a lot of screens and uh, forcing Lawrence to go play hero ball. And I just don't think that's a recipe for success here in the NFL. Yeah, and we talked about uh, Black Monday or Bloody Monday, whatever you want to call it, at the start of the podcast. Uh, they fired their defensive staff and Mike Caldwell, which to me, or the Jaguars, that is, which to me is kind of a scapegoat firing because I don't think Mike Caldwell was really the problem this year. Like I said, I think it reverts back to Press Taylor, but Peterson's been loyal to Press Taylor, I believe, uh, even in Philly. Uh, he was on yep. that staff. And when he was on Andy Reid's staff. Yeah, back in the day. Both Peterson and Mike Caldwell go back to the early 2010s with Andy Reid. So it would, that that surprised me, that firing. Yeah, and I, I just don't know. I don't think that was the reason that the Jags were bad this year. And obviously it culminated in a not, not even a losing season. They went 9-8, and eight, but I think that fell short of expectations tremendously. Then on the flip side of the ball, the, the winners of this game, the Tennessee Titans, they made a, a surprising change about two hours ago, maybe an hour and a half ago, and firing Mike Vrabel, which yeah. I, was something I talked about uh, on our week seven pod. I went back and looked at the, the script. I said he may be on the hot seat, even though he doesn't deserve it. And it looks like that came to pass today with him being fired. I think there was a report that uh, they couldn't, like they weren't going to be able to trade him or something, so they just fired him. And Vrabel didn't request to be let go or anything. This was a pure tennessee titans decision so it's just very weird because vrabel certainly wasn't the problem there it's like you have it written down here in the script uh the sins of a previous uh general manager obviously they traded away aj brown have some bad contracts and that roster is just bare that's something we talked about in the offseason expectations yeah exactly it's uh andre dillard who was a failed pick from the eagles well, he wasn't failed. Be... He was a backup tackle, and then he goes they... there, and then Peter Skoronsky is a... really the only only guy you can look at that O line that's good. But Andre Diller was a first round pick from the Eagles, right? And uh, he was relegated. He was a later to round being pick. Let me let me pull backup. that up as as you continue. Yeah, but uh, uh, besides that's beside the point. It's just him and uh, Skoronsky, the rookie they drafted, I believe, at eleven overall. Um, and it's really, uh, it's just them. They lose Nate Davis, a good starting guard to the Chicago bears. And then they bring in, uh, Hopkins, who's older. Derrick Henry's obviously older, even though he still had an excellent season. Always got to shout out Derrick Henry. One of the best to ever do it. He'll be a hall of famer one day. And then Tannehill kind of gets relegated to the bench, maybe what halfway through the season in lieu of Will Levis, who outside of that first game that they had, didn't really look super promising. I don't. He didn't show too much, in my opinion. And so they have an aging and, frankly, bad roster. I don't think Mike Vrabel is to be blamed for that. I think, and this is what I talked about back in week seven or eight or whenever this was, I think the expectations may have been just too high because he had been immediately successful, right, when he yep. took over. And I think it was three straight playoff or maybe four straight playoff runs, a couple of which where he was the one seed and one where they made the AFC championship, uh, if I recall correctly. 
Um, and they also ended the Patriots dynasty and everything. So it's not like his tenure was bad with the Titans. In fact, it was really, really good. It's just these past two years, he's paying for the mistakes that a GM that was fired made. Yeah. I mean, when you, you're trying to rebuild towards the future and you have a coach that has been as successful as you just kind of laid out, it, it is perplexing. I understand they went out and signed DeAndre Hopkins because they wanted to be competitive this year. They just kind of fell flat on their face. And to your point, Andre Dillard was a first-round pick. I was getting confused with Landon Dickerson and Cam Jorgens, who went in the second round in the previous drafts. Um, but it, it's one of those things that this was a, a roster devoid of talent. They had a good defensive line. Uh, they had a couple decent pieces. Like I like Tajay Spears. I think he's going to be good if he can stay healthy over the next few years. Uh, Traylon Burks has the potential to step into a solid number two. But again, those aren't superstar players. These aren't guys that are going to put you over the top. And so it's, it's just very interesting to see where this team's going to go because like who are they going to turn to now that's in the pool? Like you have a lot of unknown guys or you have retread guys that I, I'd argue aren't better than Vrabel. So uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see where ownership will go. I know when the statement was made or at least some reports around Vrabel's firing, I guess he went, um, I think it was like one and eight, one and nine over the past, like 10 division matchups. And the owner just, I guess, didn't like that. And that's fair. You want to win games in your division like that's that's kind of the staple that's where some of the rivalries are uh, but I, I don't know if changing the coach is going to change some of those dynamics especially when you have guys like D'Amico Ryans Shane Steichen and I know we're talking about Doug Peterson in negative light but he's still a good coach so uh, I, I'm curious who the next guy will be yeah uh, this is certainly if there were any time to fire a guy like Vrabel this would be the time because this is one of the better coaching free agency pools per se but uh it, it is still perplexing and then even with firing him it's going to be a new look team next year there's no Tannehill; he's a free agent uh derrick henry i believe is a free agent because i think he signed the the two-year extension two years ago and then i i can't imagine they keep hopkins i know i think he's on the books for another year but i think if they're going to blow it up like this they get rid of him too and it's just yeah. what is this team going to look like next year is it going to be like will levis Ty J Spears and and like Michael Pittman or Calvin Ridley or a free agent wide receiver or something. It's it's just going to be interesting with a bad O line and an aging defense. Like and uh, to to the point of Mike Vrabel, we're talking about this roster like this. This roster was also bad last year, and he had them, I believe, eight and nine or maybe seven and ten. So it's not like he was horrible with with these super bad rosters, but it's still super perplexing. And another team, <clears throat> Patriots are going to benefit from having Mike Vrabel be on the market like this. And that kind of segues in, unless you have anything else with uh, these two teams, it kind of uh, segues into our coach talk, which it's a big coach talk this week because a lot of uh, head coaching positions are open now. Yeah, we aren't we aren't going to focus in on a couple coaches. We're, we're going to more talk about coaching vacancies. And the first one that we're going to touch on, we'll get to Tennessee at the end. And like you were talking about, what what is this roster going to look like? They, if, if you want to reshape a team in your own image, the Titans are probably one of those teams best fit to do it right now. And we'll see what direction they take. Personally, I think in the draft there, I think at pick seven, they could go after like a Joe Alt, Param with Skaronsky, rebuild the O-line. But we'll get to that. Atlanta, according to some betting odds, some of the front runners to replace Arthur Smith, which if you guys missed the hoopla at the end of the Saints game, that was hilarious. He was cussing out Dennis Allen. 
Um, and it was funny because Jameis Winston overrided Dennis Allen. So that just shows the kind of uh, disjointed nature of the Saints locker room. Um, and they're bringing yeah. Dennis Allen back too. Yeah, I, I, they need they need to replace Pete Carmichael. That's who needs to go out of that building. Dennis Allen has that defense playing well. It'll be interesting to see where Ryan Nielsen, a guy that came from New Orleans to be Arthur Smith's uh, defensive coordinator, where he ends up next year. It'd be cool to see him in Carolina, depending on who we hire. Um, but the Falcons, I think Frank Smith, uh, the Miami Dolphins OC, players love him. He doesn't call plays, but what they're doing in Miami is really special on that side of the ball. And if you want to see the most out of guys like Bijan, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and whoever they put in at quarterback, I think he might be a guy. Eric Bieniemy and Bill Belichick are other names being thrown around. Um, what what do you see the the direction the Falcons take uh, moving into the off season? Well, I think uh, I think they do need to go with an offensive guy, even though they had I'm going to put this in quotations, an offensive guy in Arthur Smith. They still have all those super talented pieces there. You talk about them having the eighth pick this year. They've had the eighth pick like the last 20 years uh, up to this point. Uh, but I, not like joking, but obviously last year. B. John Robinson with the eighth pick. The prior year, Drake London with the eighth pick. The year prior to that, Kyle Pitts with the fourth pick. They have all these super, like, strong weapons here. And if they they can really go in any direction they want with the eighth pick again this year, but I think if they're able to get a guy like Justin Fields, maybe, or uh, maybe maybe even bring in Kirk Cousins to have a mercenary year and just go nuclear on offense, if they can pair that with a strong pick at pick eight, like, Maybe Brock Bowers is there. And I know Falcons fans probably don't want another tight end, but I mean, Bowers is like if you put Kyle Pitts' athleticism into Michael Mayer, he's like that kind of, he's like uh, Sam Laporta on steroids, like that kind of prospect. If you can have that, that kind of offensive infrastructure, and their offensive line was pretty strong this year. If you can have that, then they should be blowing all the other teams in the NFC South out of the water. Because again, this was a nine and eight uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that won the division and it was scrappy down to the very end it was either the Bucks beat us and get in or the winner of the Falcons and Saints game gets in so this still isn't a strong division I think if you could get a guy like Frank Smith Eric Bieniemy, and really retool and reshape the offense they can make a run for it next year yeah uh, they have the eighth pick like you said uh, 18th in effective cap space uh, they they had a lot of spending on the defensive side of the ball last year like you said the offensive line's pretty solid you had a guy like Brock Bowers in uh, and you'd be able to live in 12 personnel and with a guy like Bijan Robinson in the backfield and kind of Kyle Pitts still on his rookie contract Drake London still on his rookie contract Maybe, like you said, you go after that Kirk Cousins or you you trade for a Justin Fields or if you bring in like an Eric Bieniemy, you bring in Sam Howell and hopefully with a better supporting cast, he takes a step. Um, I, I'm, I'm not completely sold on Sam Howell. I, he, he makes some special throws, uh, but he takes a lot of sacks. And that's that's something that you got to worry about in turnover worthy plays. And you, you were kind of seeing that kind of being the downfall of Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke when they stepped in for the Falcons. So finding a guy that maybe limits the turnovers and, and just manages the game in that first year for whoever the new regime is might be the route to go. Now, another team that is looking to fill a vacancy, uh, they fired their coach midseason. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders uh, fired Josh McDaniels, hired internally. It wasn't their offensive coordinator. It wasn't their defensive coordinator. They hired, I believe it was the linebackers coach, Antonio Pierce. And man, did he, 
he he reminded me of Steve Wilkes last year. I mean, you you want to talk about a locker room that had had no synergy, uh, was was not playing hard to a a team that was balling down the stretch. I mean, they beat Kansas City in Kansas City on Christmas. Uh, this is a team like that could seriously kind of make some moves down the stretch because the AFC West is not a strong division outside of the Chiefs. Uh, Chargers are rebuilding. The Broncos are rebuilding under Sean Payton. Uh, they swept the Broncos this year uh, to start the season and end the season. So I think they have a lot of things to build off of. Uh, I don't know if Devontae Adams is in the future picture, but um, I, I'd be curious to see who the quarterback for them is going to be next year and who they hire. Yeah, we talk about for head coaching candidates, right? We talk about the flashy coordinators, mainly on the offensive side. But we have like Ben Johnson, uh, Frank Smith. You have Mike McDonald on the defensive side of the ball. But what you really need in a head coach, and obviously you do need schematic advantage with your coordinators, but in a head coach, you need a leader of men. And like you talked about with Steve Wilkes, that's what Antonio Pierce was. You saw in that locker room. It was like silent after games uh, mm -hmm. prior to Josh McDaniels firing. He was actually the first head coach fired this season. But once Pierce took over, you saw them happy and like lively after wins. And that's what an actual leader who can relate to the players can do to you. you like you have here that some of the other uh, odds leaders are Bill Belichick and Ben Johnson. I hope they keep Pierce. I think Antonio yeah. Pierce is the right guy for them. We very rarely ever see interim head coaches be promoted to the full-time head coach, but what he was able to do with that team, because let's be real, they had no business winning games uh, at any point this year, but they were able to win games because of his leadership. And like you said, they're sitting at that 13th pick, right? So they probably won't be getting uh, Caleb Williams or Drake May. I, I can't imagine they would have the the gall to trade up to one or two, but maybe Jaden Daniels is hanging around like that seventh or eighth spot where Tennessee and Atlanta are. If they could trade up there and get their guy, then – Maybe they could run with him. I think he he would be a, a Vegas-type player, like really flashy, kind of like Vegas, all the lights flashy, all that kind of stuff. Heisman winner, you know. But uh, uh, with all that aside, I think them getting a young QB would be the move this year because as much as Aiden O'Connell uh, was able to impress in uh, spurts this year, I'm not very high on him as a longtime starter. No, he's he's not the future of that franchise. It'll be interesting to see kind of what they do with that 13th pick. They could be in the running for a couple free agent quarterbacks. I don't know if they would be interested in trading for like a Justin Fields. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of see how things shape up uh, if they hire anybody outside of the building. Uh, based on odds, I, I, I'm not really sold on Bill Belichick uh, leaving for Las Vegas as a team that just fired Josh McDaniels from that same tree. Like, why are you bringing in kind of his his previous boss? Um, and then Ben Johnson, I, I could see it maybe working. But again, it goes back to that quarterback situation. They're 10th in effective cap space, about $51 million when you account for kind of some of the vetmen deals just to get to that 53-man roster next year. So definitely some room to go out and pay somebody, uh, sign a couple free agents to kind of boost the defense. Love Max Crosby. Uh, love some of the pieces they have on that defensive side of the ball. And they play hard. Uh, and so I, I think keeping Antonio Pierce is definitely a move for them. Now, the Los Angeles Chargers uh, fired Brandon Staley after getting drubbed by the Raiders, 63-21. to 21. And what's interesting... By the, and by the Antonio Pierce Raiders. 
Yep. No, absolutely. And that's one of the things like we, we saw a couple 60 point performances this year, one by the Miami dolphins and everybody loves Mike McDaniel. And then one by the Antonio Pierce led Raiders. And you're just kind of wondering where the disconnect is, but um, moving on to the chargers, I was actually really surprised that Kellen Moore didn't step up into the head coaching role to try to prove himself. And I understand interim coaches don't get hired usually, but he's been a hot name thrown around. And when I've looked at odds across kind of like the coaching pool this year, he's not up there. And it goes back to the point you made about Antonio Pierce. Sometimes the guy you want as a head coach isn't the most schematically sound, but he's a leader of men. Like you see that with Dan Campbell with the Detroit Lions. And he's he's got Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn who have been doing amazing things with the roster they have. And I Kellen Moore not stepping up in that position. He might've just kind of put himself into another coordinator role for another season to kind of prove himself. Yeah. I think missing out last year on being a head coach kind of hurt him because he, obviously he did go to the chargers and you think that Justin Herbert is an upgrade over Dak Prescott in terms of talent and everything, but the rest of their offensive infrastructure is like pretty easily worse than the, the Dallas Cowboys infrastructure and obviously Herbert gets hurt this year the offense takes a dip and it, it, it reflects on your resume even though it's not necessarily Kellen Moore's fault but like you said he's not a hot name among coordinators right now you have obviously Ben Johnson who's been the guy the past couple of years but then Frank Smith has popped up you have uh, a bunch of other offensive coordinator guys uh, Bobby Slowick with the uh, the Texans has popped up with what he's been able to do with CJ, uh, CJ Stroud and the rest of their offense, Shane Waldron, one of your guys. So like all these guys are kind of lapping him this year and it's just unfortunate for him there. But I think going forward outside of the team, we're going to talk about next. I think they're in a very favorable position because they do have that fifth pick, even though their cap space is kind of, uh, not looking good. Well, they like can, they can clear. Length, but yeah. They can clear a lot of that uh, by getting off contracts with Khalil Mack, with Keenan Allen. There's ways to get under and have money to spend. Um, but it's a but reset. It, basically, it is. It, it, it is a reset. But you have guys like uh, Slater and is it Zion Johnson on that offensive yes, line? Zion Johnson and Jamari Sawyer. Yeah, so you have you have a couple of young pieces there. Um, they, they could probably add like a running back in the fourth or fifth round. Uh, I think if they go after like a Malik Neighbors and pair him on the outside with Mike Williams, and then hopefully Quentin Johnston takes a step, you have wide receivers for Justin Herbert to throw to, and it's a matter of bringing the right guy in. So if that's a Ben Johnson, if that's an Eric Bieniemy, I definitely think they need to go the offensive coordinator route. I've loved the presence that Ben Johnson holds in press conferences. I feel like he is a true leader. Um, and he, he he comes from, and, and we'll get into this a little bit, Ben Johnson kind of comes from that um, Belichick-Payton tree. And he didn't really coach under neither, uh, neither of those two directly, but he was under Matt Patricia in Detroit, and then he was under Dan Campbell in Detroit. And Dan Campbell had come from Sean Payton in New Orleans. So... I, those kind of ties, uh, just like a hard nose for the ball, no nonsense. Like, I think that's what that team needs. And I think he's proven himself at this point. I think uh, what I, I agree with the Ben Johnson take and everything. Uh, for me, the Chargers need another leader. Um, and I don't think there's any better leader out there right now, other than Vrabel, who just became available. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, who just won a national title about, 17 ish hours ago, 18 hours ago yep. with Michigan go maize and blue, uh, even though they cheated, but, uh, <laughs> they, they won a title. So he doesn't have anything else to really prove this year. 
and there's been rumbles of him returning to the NFL. I think that the Chargers are like the best spot for him because number one, they have the best QB out of all the available spots right now. Uh, obviously, Atlanta is going to need to add somebody. Vegas needs to add somebody. Washington needs to add. They're going to draft somebody at uh, number two. Tennessee, I'm not sold on Levis. And we, we haven't seen enough from Bryce Young to know yet in Carolina. So he has the QB. Like you said, they could take like a, a Brock Bowers or Malik Neighbors there at five. So they can add to the offensive side of the ball. I think that's a spot for him. And he, he did play for the Chargers when he played in the league. But uh, I think uh, having a leader like Harbaugh, who's won everywhere he's been, by the way, that would be a very good uh, addition for them. And it would be interesting to be in the same state where he was fired with the San Francisco 49ers. Imagine he's successful so, with the Chargers and he's kind of like, all right, I, I can do this for, for these guys and you guys got rid of me. What's interesting about the, like the Harbaugh arc is, yes, he played for the Chargers, but we saw two coaches this past cycle have that kind of uh, same trajectory going into the season. You had Frank Reich, who was the first quarterback for the Carolina Panthers under Dom Capers in 1995. And then you had D'Amico Ryans, who was a longtime linebacker uh, that played for the Texans. And sure enough, he goes there. He's an Alabama alum. He he brings in Will Anderson, turns that whole franchise around with C.J. Stroud at the helm. So it'll be interesting to see, see if they go the Harbaugh route, if it's a complete collapse or if they have a lot of success in year one. And based on his success in San Francisco, I'd lean that way. Um, what I will say is that a lot of people have talked about uh, speculations of who his coordinators would be. Uh, Greg Roman was his guy in San Francisco, and I could see him kind of using him again in that position. And that would be an interesting offense to have. And then potentially bringing in Jero Evero, our defensive coordinator this past year. And I think he would definitely clean up the Chargers defense from where it has been. And they, they may not generate a lot of turnovers or um, negative plays for the offense, but I, I think that they could play complimentary football to what Justin Herbert provides on the offensive side. Uh, I, I like the Greg Roman thing. As far as the defensive coordinator, if he ends up leaving Michigan, I can't imagine that he doesn't bring Michigan's defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter, with him. That is Led, true. Uh, Michigan to number one defense this year. Uh, and Michigan has a record of having good defensive staff, obviously Mike McDonald. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where Minter ends up this season because uh, if McDonald leaves, he might want him. If Jim Harbaugh leaves, he might want him. If McDonald leaves, John Harbaugh might want mentor to replace <laughs> mcdonald so it's going to be those three guys kind of jockeying for where mentor ends up but uh i could see him following harbaugh to wherever he goes J uh jim harbaugh that is to wherever he goes in the league and speaking of mcdonald he is currently from a betting standpoint we're we're all using odds at this point because these are odds generated from either people that are following these teams or betting experts that have kind of like an ear to the ground in the nfl community uh washington commanders uh, they, they're wanting to kind of maybe potentially get Mike McDonald from Baltimore. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the Panther section when we're talking about general manager candidates. But Joe Hortz, the director of player personnel for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, they, they have interest in both of those guys. And I think that would completely change the culture around there and, and what they're trying to build in Washington after uh, the new ownership group uh, led by, is it Joe Harris or Josh yes. Harris? Oh, Josh Harris, Josh Harris. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't know if it's, yeah. So Josh Harris, um, and the cool thing about them is they have the second pick and they have the second most effective cap space, uh, about $65 million. So when you consider all that, uh, they can reset at the quarterback position. Um, if they they feel comfortable with Sam Howell at the helm, I don't think they will be. 
Um, maybe they trade back. They they get like a Joe Alt or another offensive lineman that kind of boosts their O-line uh, and then just kind of retool the defense in some of the later rounds. Uh, but you get a guy like Mike McDonald and what he's done in Baltimore the past two years with uh, numerous injuries has been nothing short of phenomenal. And then when he's had his guys together, I mean, they, they're an unstoppable force. This is a, a defense uh, that has been completely – able to stop some of these high octane offenses, whether it be Ben Johnson and the Detroit Lions, Shane Waldron and the Seattle Seahawks, uh, the Shanahan tree, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel and back to back weeks this year. And he throws different things out. Right? Like they, they aren't a heavy cover six team, but when they played that Shanahan style offense, they played a lot of cover six. And for people that don't know what cover six is, you're pretty much splitting the, the field in half. You're playing cover two to one side and cover four to another. And it, it can create a lot of confusion for the quarterback because you, you, you think you're seeing quarters and then you're thrown into a cover two side and it, it completely uh, it ends up uh, like looking what it wasn't supposed to be. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, where he goes. I, I want Mike McDonald uh, in Carolina, um, especially with our linebacking history with guys like John Beeson and uh, Sam Mills and Luke Keekley um, and his ties to the linebacking core. I think that would just really be, uh, true to that Carolina Panthers heritage that you talked about earlier. But again, I'm digressing. We'll talk more about that in the Panthers section. Yeah, as far as the coordinator head coach candidates go, Mike McDonald's number one for me across and like all head coaching fronts. I just think he's that good. But I, like I was talking about a couple minutes ago, some of these teams do have enviable positions, but none are greater than that of Washington. And it's easy to see why, like you said, the second most effective cap space moving forward, the second overall pick. So they're going to get their QB. It's just a matter of if they are going to, if they're content with taking whoever falls to two, or if they're going to want to trade up to number one with the bears, like kind of a similar situation, what we saw last year with the bears and the Texans, obviously the Texans didn't end up trading for that number one pick, but they were supposed to, it was supposed to be a couple of different trades going on there, but they're going to get their QB. Um, I can't imagine that they're the new owners or uh, yeah, new owner, new head coach and everybody, new GM wants to uh, stake their claim on Sam Howell, even though Sam Howell does have a place in the league. I think they are going to want Drake May or Caleb Williams uh, or Jaden Daniels, if they like him for that matter. But they're going to have the number two pick. They're going to have money to burn. They could get guys like, uh, obviously, Curtis Samuels, a free agent. They could get like T. Higgins if they wanted. They could get strong players on the defensive side. They they could maybe re-sign uh, Chase Young. If Chase Young <laughs> that would be hilarious. Back. Yeah, after Ron and everybody's gone, if Chase Young comes back. But uh, it, they could even put in a bid for Brian Burns if he hits free agency, if he doesn't get tagged. But th they have the money. They have the picks. And – they have owner, the new ownership group seems like it's willing to like try to do the right thing, try to spend money to make the team good. They, he went out and hired Josh Harris. That is went out and hired the uh, golden state warriors, former manager along with uh former, I believe it was Vikings general manager, Rick Spielman. They kind they're kind of heading a two man search group for the new general manager and head coach. So they, he's willing to uh, bring out the big bucks to find the best candidates. And that's super good for a new owner. And I, I, for that reason, I think Washington is definitely in the best position of all the current turnover teams moving forward. And it's not like uh, Washington was like a horrible, horrible team. They had some bright spots this year. So moving forward, I think they're going to be in a good spot. I, I think they should certainly be in a, a better trajectory than all three of the other teams in their division.
Yeah, um, they're they're definitely trending up uh, with, along with a second pick, like we talked about, their second and effective cap space. The only team that's higher than them is the team we kind of open with around the NFL, and that's the Tennessee Titans. Um, they have a seventh pick and the first uh, are the they lead the NFL with effective cap space because you have guys like Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry that are coming off the books. They'll probably cut DeAndre Hopkins and he'll go to a contender kind of like what we've seen Julio Jones do in the past. Um, and that leaves us to like wonder who they're going to sign. And what I find interesting, and I, I don't think this is really any strong form of analysis because this news broke about two hours ago. Uh, there really aren't any odds that have been put together. Um, but three of their last four head coaches, their first names were Mike. You had Mike Munchak, uh, who was a Jeff Fisher uh, assistant. Uh, you did have Ken Wisenhunt in there, but you had Mike Malarkey and then Mike Rabel. And all these guys hail from uh, either the Bill Cowher tree or in the case of Mike Munchak, uh, Jeff Fisher's tree. And so it's just like an old school brand of football and the Titans just have that kind of the feel to them. So maybe Mike McDonald is going to be kind of their next guy. And I think he's a great candidate. I would like to see him go kind of maybe more in an offensive direction, a guy that you had put down on here before even the firing was announced um, was Shane Waldron. And he's one of my favorite guys. He runs a lot of 12 and 13 personnel in Seattle. He's overcome some really bad offensive issues that they've had there. And like we talked about in our section, they don't have necessarily the best offensive line. So you bring in a guy like him that can be a little bit creative, sometimes a little too creative and gets too cute. But I think overall, this is a, a great play designer. And I haven't seen his name on any list across the NFL uh, compared to first-year guys in Bobby Slowick and Dave Canals that are getting a lot of praise when uh, we've we've quite literally seen Shane Waldron uh, work miracles with Russell Wilson, Geno Smith, and some of the issues that they've had in Seattle on that offensive side. Yeah, he might just not have, uh, like, I guess enough clout, for lack of a better word, around the league. Like, maybe, uh, maybe around the league – uh, people view him lower than like fans like us do, but I'm not sure there. But yeah, I think uh, based on the Mike analysis, Mike McDonald seems to be a lock for Tennessee. That's unfortunate because that's a guy I'd like in Carolina. But uh, yeah, Tennessee does have uh, some bright spots, like you said. Uh, effective cap space, they're first, but just over a million ahead of Washington. They do hold the seventh overall pick, so they could get a keystone player and a super talented offensive draft in particular uh in in this draft so they could get like olufashanu joel like you're talking about bowers might fall uh roma dunze the receiver from washington all these guys are top 10 talents that they could grab or maybe even if they're not sold on levis they could try and get in the mix for a top two pick i doubt that the new uh coach would want that but that that's an option for them too i, I just think the titans are also in a good spot there and then we do have another team here it hasn't uh Hasn't been official yet, but there's been rumors throughout the season that Bill Belichick may have coached his last game or last season in New England. And so that's kind of a uh, that's kind of up in the air right now. I think he's supposed to meet with Robert Kraft either later today or later this week to discuss the future. And I think the obvious guy, if Belichick does end up leaving, is Mike Vrabel. He's the best coach out of everyone available, except for maybe Harbaugh. And uh, he's a Belichick guy. He played in New England. He's no nonsense guy. I know you he like uh, Bill O'Brien in Houston. And I mean, Bill O'Brien, another prodigy from from that Bill Belichick tree. So, yeah, a lot of connections there. 
Yeah, and I know you're you're a big proponent of the like the Patriot way, and I think uh, Mike Vrabel embodies that. You know. Yeah, there's been a lot of rumors that uh, you could potentially have a Jared Mayo. Uh, I, I'm not too keen on that. Like, again, Antonio Pierce surprised us, and maybe that's what Jared Mayo is. Uh, but when you don't have a guy that has previous play calling experience, and that sometimes is what gives you an edge when you're a head coach, uh, especially when you see guys like Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid being kind of the forefront of their offenses, uh, and, and you have guys like Sean McDermott, a forefront of their defense. There's very few head coaches outside of like a Brian Dable or Mike Tomlin that are relinquishing kind of those play calling duties to their subordinates. Um, but maybe, maybe that's the route New England goes. I also heard uh, Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick have been in communication and they've obviously worked together. I got the best season out of Mac Jones's rookie year. You wonder with the third overall pick, if they bring Josh McDaniels back, Bill Belichick relinquishes personnel control they rebuild this team, they have a lot of cap space. This is a team that can can make a splash in free agency, that can go out and grab their quarterback. Uh, and, and maybe that's the conversation with Robert Kraft this week. I don't know. Like you said, uh, Mike Vrabel might be their guy now that he's available. It'll be interesting to see if Belichick is traded or just simply cut. Uh, we'll probably get more of that information as the week goes on. For sure. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we talked about mostly bad teams. Uh, actually, all these are bad teams that have fired their coach or their GM, stuff like that. On the other end, we have 14 teams, seven in each conference that have made the playoffs. And so we get our first week of playoffs this week. Obviously, Baltimore and San Francisco won't be playing because they locked up that covetous one seed where you get the bye in today's NFL. Well, we have some good matchups, uh, both on the AFC and the NFC. And then to start the AFC, kind of the storylines we have going here, uh, Tyreek Hill is coming back to Kansas City. And he's been pretty talkative since he's been in Miami about Kansas City. And now he'll, he'll get a chance under the lights to return there and kind of prove that uh, he's his own guy. And throughout his tenure in Miami, he's had a lot of drops during big, ga big games. Uh, we saw this past week, I think back to the Eagles game where he dropped that touchdown in the fourth quarter. And so it, I, I think the onus is really on him and Tua because Tua needs to step up as well to really lock in and uh, perform under the bright lights while he's in Miami. Because we saw what he was able to do in Kansas City during playoff games and Super Bowls. But in order for him to carve his own path, it might be pertinent for them to win this week. And, and they're going to be playing in the cold. I, I, I don't necessarily like some of the analysis where it's like splits, but it was like below a certain like degree threshold. It might have been like 50 degrees. Like um, he's he's winless this year to at the helm of kind of the Miami Dolphins and what they're doing. And you just wonder if that's going to impact him. If playing in Kansas City with the crowd, with the way Spag has this defense playing for the the Chiefs. Uh, if they're going to be able to shut them down like they did the first time. And and they played real physical. There was a shot at the end, kind of Tua gave away in Germany when they played them. Uh, and you, you wonder if they're going to be able to get them back. Uh, the Chiefs have kind of stumbled as of late, so it will be an interesting matchup with all the injuries on the Miami Dolphins defense uh, with Bradley Chubb, Jalen Phillips, uh, Bain Ginkle went down this past week. I, it's just... Who who's really going to get after Mahomes? And I, I I'm a big Christian Wilkins guy, but I just think that Mahomes will be able to kind of have enough time to kind of dice this Vic Fangio defense apart. And if that's the case, I, I I think the Chiefs advance and they'll play probably 
the winner uh, of the Buffalo Steeler, a uh, Buffalo Bills Pittsburgh Steelers game. Uh, I think the Bills win this game. I I don't know if it's going to be super competitive. T.J. Watt is out. They're on their third string quarterback at this point with Mason Rudolph. Do you think the Steelers have a chance to upset and then go in the Baltimore and play the team that they swept actually this year? Or do you really think the Bills will just end up facing uh, the Chiefs uh, for a very competitive divisional round matchup? Oh, I would love nothing more than to get another Baltimore and Pittsburgh game. Those always seem like classics. But unless Josh Allen becomes Captain Armpunt and throws three and three or four interceptions throughout the game, I just can't see it. Like you said, Pittsburgh's missing their best player. Uh, one of the defensive player of the year front runners this year in TJ Watt. So I just don't see it there. But Pittsburgh over the past couple years does have some interesting regular season upsets of the Bills. So we can't put it out of the picture. Obviously, Mike Tomlin's been in the league a long time, but I don't. I saw something interesting the other day. I don't think they've won a playoff game in a decade. The Pittsburgh Steelers, that is, despite all their winning seasons. So it'll be interesting for the Steelers as far as that front goes. But no, I have the Bills winning this one. And then the other big, or not big, the other AFC playoff game this weekend is cleveland going into houston and this one's interesting on a couple fronts obviously deshaun watson's not playing so we're not going to get that storyline there but houston possesses cleveland's draft pick this year so it's going to be interesting to see whoever wins or whoever loses it's a win for houston because they're going to get a better pick there yeah i mean this was something the league kind of I, okay, I'll, I'll backtrack and not say league, but analysts were talking about that Will Anderson trade. Like, hey, you're you're trading a lot because a lot of people thought the Texans would be bad this year. They they'd have another top five pick, and it's like you're you're trading all this draft capital to move up, and it's like okay, now you're looking at a pick that might be in the twenties. Like Houston, Houston won, and like you said, they have the the Browns' first round pick with the Deshaun Watson trade, and all of a sudden, like this looks like a competitive team. Like they made the right decision, and sometimes you got to make that gamble because you talked about a lot when we were we were discussing the draft. Will Anderson was was a a freak coming out of college. Like this guy had like shades of, and I, I don't want to say he is that, but Lawrence Taylor-esque kind of vibes where he could get after the quarterback and just wreck a game. And sure enough, he's done that. CJ Stroud, he's been a stud for them in Bobby Sloak's system. And we talked about that also, that, hey, if if he can simply have Stroud point and shoot, this, this could be a competitive team. And sure enough, they've done that. So uh, the last time these two teams played, they played on Christmas Eve. Stroud wasn't in that game. Uh, Joe Flacco led Browns, won convincingly 36-22 behind a phenomenal Amari Cooper game. So you wonder if Cooper will go off again, uh, returning to the great state of da- uh, Texas. He played in Dallas, not Houston. But um, that, that, that'll be an interesting game. I think it'll be really competitive. I don't think it'll be the blowout it was. Um, but I'll, I'll be curious to see what the outcome of that game is. Yeah, Stroud, who's pretty much the front runner for Offensive Rookie of the Year at this point, he's been excellent this year. Uh, like like you were talking about Will Anderson, my comp for him in the draft was like uh, Demarcus Ware 2.0, and he he's looked that part so far his rookie season. Uh, they they've clearly won that trade. This was a guy that I thought that was the best edge rusher since maybe Miles Garrett in the draft, and he, he's kind of proven that so far. And when you get a guy like that, it's worth it to trade away 
like the 20th overall pick or whatever it's going to end up being if you're convicted that you're going to be good enough. And obviously they were. D'Amico Ryans has done an excellent job uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And like we talked about, Bobby Slowick, who's an up-and-coming head coaching candidate, we'll get into that a bit, uh, a little bit later with the Panther stuff. But they've all been excellent, and this should be – this is probably going to be my favorite game of the AFC slate, Houston and Cleveland. Uh, but then we have the NFC slate where I mean, we have a lot more storylines on that one. Yeah, no, continuing because you brought up Bobby Slowick and he comes from the Kyle Shanahan tree. And and the team that has the buy in the NFC is the San Francisco 49ers under uh, kind of their their regime. And they they look like a, a tough out. Um, I, they, they handled business against the Cowboys and the Eagles. And I, I think they had handled business against the Lions if they were to face them. Uh, what are some of the intriguing matchups in the wild card weekend? And do you think any team really has a shot at dethroning them? Or is this really just the 49ers uh, to lose in terms of the NFC championship? Well, I like both of uh, Dallas and Detroit. Um, but unfortunately, if they play San Francisco, it's going to be in Santa Clara. And outside of uh, Arlington, Texas, the Cowboys haven't been good. And out, like outside in general, like not in a dome, Jared Goff isn't really good, even though it's kind of warmer over in California. But still, outside of the Dome, he's not very good. So it's going to be interesting there. But the storylines in the NFC, in my opinion, are much, much better. Uh, we'll get the uh, kind of the bad one out of the way, the Tampa Bay-Philly one. Um, they, they did play in the playoffs a couple years ago. This was actually, I believe it was the first ever seven-seed versus two-seed matchup. And uh, it was Hurts' first year starting, and the Eagles got blown out that game. They got um, handled. Man, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Tom Brady smoked him in that one. But uh, we'll see how it works out this year. Obviously, the Eagles are coming off the Super Bowl runners-up, or they are the Super Bowl runners-up, so we'll see what happens there. And they've kind of hit the skid like you talked about. I believe they're 1-5 and five in their last six games after a very promising 10-1 and one start. But they're going to have which, to lock which... in and play to their strengths. Included a win down in Tampa. They won 25-11. to 11. There were some drops by Mike Evans in that game that kind of shaped the the trajectory of that first half and allowed the Eagles to kind of cruise. But you wonder with some of the injuries with Devontae Smith, AJ Brown went out in the game against the Giants in the season finale where they got completely embarrassed in New York. And like you said, they're one in five down the stretch. Is this a team that can rally or do the Bucks kind of win a game and then really just tee off a easy matchup for the Cowboys potentially, which leads us into that next matchup of Green Bay going to Arlington to face Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Light Cowboys. And I, I think the Green Bay Packers did the right thing, parting ways with Mike McCarthy. The, I, I think Matt LaFleur has been a phenomenal coach for them. Uh, but I, I think the Cowboys did a phenomenal thing themselves in getting rid of Jason Garrett and bringing him in because he's changed that culture. And even with the Kellen Moore departure, they haven't skipped a beat. Uh, that West Coast offense they deploy is is really something special. And and what Dak and CD have going is just chemistry beyond belief. I mean, the, those two are on the same page. And it'll be interesting to see if the Packers, uh, led by that Joe Barry defense, are going to be able to stop this offense. Because I, I could easily see them putting up 40 points and this game getting out of hand really quick. Yeah, at the start of the season, I said Dallas has the best roster in football, and I'm still standing on it. I think they're going to demolish the Green Bay Packers. Uh, it is huge props to the Packers for making the playoffs. Jordan Love was a lot better than I expected following his uh, pretty like poor 
start to the year, like his first four to six games where he was just missing throws all over the field. But he's really locked in and uh, proven himself as a starter in this league. But I don't think it's going to be enough to stop Dallas's offense, especially against that Joe Barry defense. This is a defense where that allowed the Panthers to score 30 points on offense. And we had missed like two extra points in a field goal that game, I think. So this is a defense that's not very good. I think Dallas takes care of that one handily, even though it's a cool uh, McCarthy versus Green Bay matchup there. But the big storyline of all of the playoff games this week, Detroit is hosting the Rams. We have Goff playing against Sean McVay, and we have Stafford returning home. And that, to me, is the super poetic matchup here where Stafford is very easily probably or it's between him and Barry Sanders, but he's one of the best players in franchise history and Megatron, of course, but he's one of, he's obviously the best QB, one of the best players in franchise history, returning home with the team. He led to a Super Bowl uh, a couple years ago. So it's going to Super Bowl win that is. So it's going to be an interesting one there, but I like Detroit's chances in the dome. My issue with Detroit, and we saw it in the second half of the season, and this was one thing looking at this team from a like a preseason standpoint, is their defense. And the Rams are right now healthy. I mean, they got Puka Nakua, they got Cooper Cup, Kyron Williams has been great. Their offensive line has been retooled and is playing really solid. And then you have Stafford just making alien throws week after week. I mean, he went toe-to-toe with the Baltimore Ravens. This is a guy that I think if if you want to talk about a team that could truly beat the 49ers in the playoffs, I think the Rams could do it. I think Sean McVay and Stafford have that capability of doing it. Raheem Morris plays a very solid, sound defense. And with Sam Laporta being out, like, like this is where the Lions offensive line has to turn it up a notch. And they have to win in the trenches because if they can't do that, I mean, I, I feel like the Rams are going to be able to just keep everybody in front of them and and they'll take the dinks and dunks, but they aren't going to allow those big plays over the top. Like we saw that big Jamison Williams play a couple weeks ago in Dallas. I I don't think we're going to kind of see some of those plays and it'll be interesting. I think this is going to be probably the most competitive game this weekend. And I I think you're right. I think the lions have the edge, but if, if we're looking at an upset Stafford's definitely going to be at the forefront of that. For sure. My thing is, I think the Lions running game is going to be the difference between Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. I think they can just wear the Rams defense down throughout the week or throughout the game, that is, and then find those deep shots there at the end. Obviously, like Amon Ross St. Brown, Jamison Williams, Josh Reynolds, those are fine passing uh, pass catchers. But I think the run game is going to be the emphasis for the Detroit Lions in this game. Now, what I will say is I do not want to be Tage Seth in this situation. He's a big Stafford <laughs> yeah. fan, and hey, he was happy for him winning the Super Bowl, but you're you're a Detroit Lions fan. It's like you, you hate to see your boy come into town uh, because you don't want to beat him, but at the same time you do because you want to see your team advance and, and, and make a playoff run, uh, which they haven't done since, what, like the 90s? Um, so, yeah, that, I, I'm, 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 I'm torn. I'm torn for him. Uh, But moving into the Panthers' future, this is kind of our next-to-last section. We're going to be kind of going over some of our coaching candidates. We've talked about some of these guys at length already uh, in our our coach talk. But who's the guy that you want to be the Panthers' head coach? Because I I know there's a lot of circulating ideas, and and who who are we going to bring in? A long list of guys that we've requested the interview. But who's the guy that you want to see as head coach next year? 
that's a tough one. I have like a top three. Okay. Um, I don't know if who, I can hammer it down to one. I talked about Harbaugh. Um, I, I can't see that working with David Tepper because that that's exactly why I want Harbaugh is because he's going to tell David Tepper, no, stay, get out of here. Let Pretty us much run half off. Yeah. 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 Let us run football, go to your hedge fund or whatever. Stop bothering me. We're not doing weekly meetings. We're not doing any of this. We're the football people go away and let me do this. And he's been successful everywhere he's done that so that's like the main reason i want him and he's been a winner everywhere uh ben johnson is the obvious other big name on the offensive side of the ball i like what he, he's been able to scheme up for the lions uh, particularly in the run game we talked about earlier in the year how mike mcdaniel is like the final evolution of shanahan and it stems from the run game i'm a big run game guy and we're in a passing league of course but you still need the foundation of the run to lean back on. And we've talked about it at length. If you can't stop the run, you've already lost. And I think that Ben Johnson's uh, schematics with that are very, very strong. And then we talked about Mike McDonald, the the linebacker heritage that is the Carolina Panthers from uh, Sam Mills. And we have Dan Morgan, who's uh, uh, in our front office currently interviewing, currently interviewing or has requested an interview to be the next GM. You have Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, uh, John Beeson, and then in the modern day Panthers, Shaq Thompson and Frankie Louvu. These are all guys that are standouts at the position. And I think Mike McDonald's uh, running back ties, or excuse me, linebacker ties would be a perfect matchup for us on that side of the ball. Yeah, I, I think that's a solid top three. I'm going to be negative Nancy here. My, my big issue with Jim Harbaugh is his dedication to the run game. Uh, I, I think as offenses are evolving and Bryce Young's comp to like a guy like Drew Brees, you want to be more in a pass heavy offense. And so I'm a little deterred from that because I, I really do think if he comes back to the NFL, Greg Roman is going to be the guy he calls. Uh, Greg Roman is known for running the ball and the, the last two quarterbacks he had really the work with it at the NFL level, Greg Roman was Colin Kaepernick and Lamar Jackson. And I, I don't see Bryce Young being that kind of runner. I think he's mobile. I think he's elusive. I think he has good pocket awareness. Um, but I, I don't really see that evolution. Uh, with Ben Johnson, my biggest fear is, one, he has played with – or not played. He's coached with a phenomenal O-line in Detroit the past couple of years. I mean, uh, Decker and Sewell, uh, the couple guys that they have on their interior, it's one of the biggest investments they've made on their team, and that's allowed golf to kind of drop back and dissect a defense. Our offensive line – Maybe we get it healthy, and it looks like it was a year ago, uh, and, and we're able to play some more jumbo personnel and, and get some more favorable looks downfield with him. Uh, the other concern that I have with him is that he has come out, or at least his agent, it seemed like requested 15 mil. Um, that was reported. His agent then came out and said, no, 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 he doesn't want 15 mil. And Josina Anderson pretty much said, no, like he, he said, if, Hey, like if the Panthers are going to hire him, it's going to be 15 million, which would make me intrigued because if he goes to a team like the chargers and he's getting paid like seven, eight mil a year, which is kind of like the going rate, like, so he, he, he boosted his prices because he understood the job in Carolina was that much harder. And, and for me, uh, this goes back to, and this is something that Tim Donnelly uh, with 99.9, the fan kind of covered. Um, but if you don't want to be here in Carolina, I, I don't want you here. 
Like if, if you think you have a vision for this team and can kind of rebuild it, that's what I think what made Mike McDaniel so special about going to Miami. He believed in Tua and you you can have any opinion you want on Tua. He came into Miami. He went out and when Tyree kill became available, they got him and they built an offense that could work. And for me, I want a guy that believes that this team can be something special. And for me, that's my disconnect with Ben Johnson. Um, I'm, I'm totally there with you with Mike McDonald. Like I said, the linebacking heritage earlier, I think he's a great fit from a, a keep pounding um, philosophy and mentality here in Charlotte. I think he would be great. Um, again, I'm upset that Shane Waldron isn't in some of these conversations. We've requested to interview Bobby Slowick and Dave Canales. And again, these are first year play callers that have definitely done well their first year, but I, I don't think their body of work is nearly as great as Shane Waldron has put out. And, and so then you get to the point where it's okay, maybe a couple of retreads, uh, whether it be a guy like Jim Harbaugh or Dan Quinn are out there. And so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little torn. Um, if, if I had to go with anybody and I tweeted this out yesterday, I, I really am leaning Mike McDonald as the years go on or not the years go on the, the hours and days go on. Um, who's a GM. I, I, I know you, you referenced Dan Morgan being interviewed for the position. Like we clean house with the coaching staff. I think our, our, front office needs to be cleared out the same way. I don't think Dan Morgan needs to return. Who's a guy that you think that we need to bring in, uh, whether it's from one of these winning franchises like the Chiefs, the 49ers, uh, the, the Ravens, the Cowboys, who's a guy that you want to come in and kind of rebuild that front office? Well, there was a couple of disputes between reporters today if we had actually requested this guy or not. But uh, Will McClay, the director of player personnel for the Dallas Cowboys, he's had a big hand in their draft the past three or four years. And we've talked about how good of a drafting team they've been the past three or four years. They've been good at signing free agents. And all across the board, I think the Cowboys are one of the teams, as much as I hate them, I think they're one of the teams that you need to follow in terms of being a successful franchise because they've been one of the better teams the past few years. They just fall short in the playoffs. And I think this is the year they actually move through the playoffs but I think a guy like that who's a, a big part of the the staff there in the front office should be a guy that the Panthers consider yeah I I think that's a good one uh I'm gonna lean that, that like I said earlier when we were talking about coach talk the commanders that they're they're kind of front runners for the Mike McDonald Joe Hortz pairing I like what the Ravens are doing because a lot of people, especially analysts, want to talk about ah, surplus with drafting a guy like uh, Tyler Linderbaum and Kyle Hamilton. Ah. But when you look at consensus boards, and, and we've seen this uh, play out over the past 10, 15 years, that based on consensus boards, if you take a guy that falls, usually he plays at his level or a little bit higher. And that's what the Ravens have gotten from those two players. And so for me, like you want to play a little bit more smash mouth, uh, run the football, like you were saying, I, I think they would bring that kind of energy and bring guys into the building they're actually going to play and not reach for a guy like a Jonathan Mingo or a DJ Johnson in the draft and bring guys that are actually going to make an impact day one. And, and that's huge. Getting that kind of surplus is going to help this team compete uh, right out of the gate. And that's something that we're going to need, especially going 2-15 and 15 and never having a lead in the fourth quarter. I think that will help us change. Is there anybody else that you see out there that could be a potential fit for changing our culture? Uh, uh, for head coaches? or GMs No, 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 general or... managers. Yeah, okay. I, I think we've uh, touched on uh, head coaches. 
Yeah, we've uh, we've touched on those at length. Adam Peters in San Francisco, he uh, he's been a part of their front office. I think he's the right hand man to. Uh, I'm blanking on the the safety's name. That's their general man, uh, John Lynch. Yeah. Um, he's been his right hand man. Had a big part in the drafts and stuff there. They obviously have a super team there where any QB, not to disparage Garoppolo and Purdy, but any QB can be a plug-and-play guy there. I think uh, taking that model and bringing it here with a, a QB that has the talent to be one of the best in the league in Bryce Young, I think is a, a good way to build a team. Yeah. So with that, we are in the perfect take section. Uh, since it is wild card weekend, I think I'm, I, I think I'm going to throw out uh, a take regarding that. Uh, we talked about the Dallas Cowboys kind of pouring it on. And I think going against his old team, going against a bad defensive coordinator, Mike McCarthy is really going to want to put on a show opening week. And like you said, uh, pre-recording, like I said during the show, I think they drop a 40-piece. Now, what I do see is that the Packers offense will put up some points. And let me let me pull up the over real quick. Um what is your take as I pull that up? Just the the put the perfect take in place on the over under, and actually, I I would assume it'd be set around like the fifty sixty mark. I think it's going to go over that, but I want to get an actual number. For sure, um, I'm going to, more towards the coach talk because with the news that General Manager Scott Federer is fired, I think a lot of the fans are really in new GM, new coach mode, and that kind of stuff. So I want to put on the record that who I think is going to be the new head coach. I do think it's going to be Ben Johnson. Uh, I Like I said, I like Harbaugh. I like McDonald. I even like Slowick. Uh, seems like a bit more than you do. But it's been reported ever since before we hired Frank Reich that David Tepper has coveted Ben Johnson. He's wanted Ben Johnson uh, this whole time, even throughout the season that's been the report. And so Tepper strikes me as a guy that goes and gets what he wants. We've seen this during his time here. And even with the head coaching firm or outside firm, he's assembled to search for candidates. I can't imagine that Ben Johnson won't be one of the finalists. And if, when it comes down to that, I think Tepper is willing to pay whatever he wants to get his guy. And uh, I, I like Ben Johnson. I think he's going to be a good head coach. And I think that's going to end up being the Panthers head coach. I like Ben Johnson. I don't have any issues with him. And uh, the tweet I sent out yesterday, he was my number two guy after Mike McDonald. I would not be uh, mad or upset about us bringing him in. Uh, again, I was a little hesitant last year because he had one year underneath his belt. That's what concerns me with Bobby Slowick and Dave Canales in this interview process. So uh, if Dave Tepper wants to write that check, go ahead and write that check. Um, following up on my take, Cowboys score 40 plus and the over hits at 50 and a half. Uh, it'll be my luck that it's combined 49 points that are scored and the Cowboys score like 30 some points. Uh, but th that's my take uh, a little wrap up on the regular season. I'm going to toot my horn uh, in our pickums record. I went 164 uh, wins and had 108 losses. Uh, Jacob had 170 wins and 101 losses. Both of us were over uh, 600 in terms of the record. Uh, we weren't we weren't that hot with the betting experts. Uh, we're we're going to get better in the future. Uh, you went 23, 28, and three. Had a lot of ties at the end of the year. I went 26, 26, and two. And then our perfect takes. 
Um, unfortunately, so if you're here in this section, uh, we haven't hit on them perfectly. I went seven and eight this year. You went six and nine. Uh, what do you think was your best take of the year as we wrap up this episode? Ooh, my best perfect take of the year. Uh, I feel like I had one relating to the, like one of the bears blowouts. Um, I'm trying to go through some of our old scripts to see. Okay. But, uh, well, some of them were. But, while you yeah, look at yeah. that, I think I think the best one that I had is a couple of weeks ago. I called the Bills winning. I forget who they were playing, and it was a Houston and Indy loss the same week that kind of put the Bills into that seventh seed spot. So I was really happy about that. The Bills ended up making the playoffs and making it as the two seed. So uh, that was kind of cool to see. Um, oh, uh, I, there's a couple. I had I believe two different ones that said that Lamar would differentiate himself in the MVP discussions. I believe it was the 49ers game. And I believe it was following the Detroit lions game where I had a take about that, but both of those games, they won. And as far, even though Lamar Jackson did not play this last week and people are going to bring up, Oh, look at Josh Allen's numbers. Look at Dak Prescott's numbers. Uh, guys, they had to play these last two weeks to lock up playoff spots. Lamar Jackson didn't. And he didn't play a lot of fourth quarters because they just blew teams out. Lamar Jackson's the MVP as far as I'm concerned. And I'm proud that both of those takes reflect that. Awesome. You heard it here. Uh, hopefully we go 1-0 and both this weekend. Our, our picks, our, our takes aren't conflicting like they were last year to end the season. Um, we will tune in next week. I think our plan is to kind of go over first team, second team, all pros, get into a little bit more uh, free agent acquisitions for the Panthers, the target, and obviously go over wild card weekend. I'm expecting a great weekend of football. Like we talked about some phenomenal narratives to follow. And as always, if you have any questions, shoot them to us at perfect underscore takes until then we'll catch you guys next week.